Thanks for listening to the Surviving Loving an Addict podcast. The views expressed in this podcast must not be interpreted as personalized medical advice. Those experiencing addiction and those with loved ones experiencing addiction are urged to seek medical attention and professional counseling from providers experienced in addiction therapies and treatment. Thank you. Welcome back to the Surviving Loving an Addict podcast. Glad you're here. My name is Karsten Millward. We're here with Dave Millward. It's good to have you back again. Thanks for being here. Thank you. We're on episode three. We uh, we never thought we would end episode one. It got kind of lengthy. It got lengthy. We if you, and for the two people that listened to the whole thing, one of them was me because I had to edit it, <laughs> and uh, for the other person, whoever that was, we applaud you. <laughs> right. Well, you know what I thought we'd do today is. Um, is talk a little bit about quality of life versus, you know, and let me back up and say this. What What is an expectation that you would have from somebody going into treatment? Because when I came out of school and when I started in this, my expectation was is this person was going to be sober, they weren't going to have any chemicals in their system, and they were going to be happy, and they were going to be going to work and taking care of families and doing all these things, and that was successful treatment. Yeah, we talked about this once. Right. 28-day facility, and you come out sober. And healed, healed and fixed. And smell and like a rose. Yeah, you're your regular self back again. So you, you disagree with, you've learned yeah. better approaches. Well, I've learned that that we don't necessarily get to decide what another person's quality of life or or recovery is going to look like. So there's the term sober. Sober means that you're not using any drugs or alcohol. And frankly, sober sucks. Sober is a very difficult way to live your life. If you consider that you're that your coping mechanisms have been using drugs and alcohol to deal with everything. And now somebody walks in and yanks away all your coping mechanisms and they say, there you go, now pay your bills. And now uh, be in a relationship. And now take care of responsibility. And the coping mechanism that you had been using to deal with all this stuff is all of a sudden gone. you got to imagine how horrible that is. All of a sudden trying to deal with life... Um, and not being able to really deal with it. So you said sober sucks. And I want to clarify. So, so sober is a sober is a tough way to live life. Right. Is that what you're saying? That's right. So the person who's been limping through life on their on a crutch of of drug use mm-hmm. and let's say opiates. Mm-hmm. Let's go specifically right now with opiates, right? Yep. Now we kick the crutch out from underneath you and say, there, keep walking. Keep walking. That's hard. And so don't get me wrong, you know, I mean, abstinence and sobriety and and all those things, uh, probably going to live longer. You're going to have, you know, some improved health and everything. But uh, just being honest with you, you know, just trying to be sober really sucks. In fact, Alcoholics Anonymous AA says that if you are sober, you have a three uh, three to 7% chance of maintaining sobriety for any extended period of time. Holy cow, man, three to 7%. I mean, uh, 
Las Vegas gives you better odds than that. And so when I first started doing this and got into the business, and I'm looking and I'm looking at the recidivism, you know, I've got clients that are coming in and, and they're treated and they're going out. And then a couple of months later, they're coming back through the door, you know, and we talk about the revolving door. And you start looking and going, holy cow, how are these people really going to be able to manage life and have life? So sober, just not picking up and using, um, on the face of it has some real benefit and merits, but being honest with you, it's an incredibly difficult way to live life. So what's the option? What's the other alternative? The other alternative is a word that sometimes gets used uh, interchangeably with sober. It's recovery. Now, recovery isn't the same thing as just sober. Recovery is you are sober and you change the way you live your life which means you're not picking up and using, but you've also developed skills or abilities to cope and function with life as it comes at you. Or we like to say in treatment, live life on life's terms. But that's a process, something you have to do that comes after typically you have not put a drug or chemical in your system. Okay, And so the goal, recovery, living life on life's terms, living life differently than you did, truthfully can take on a lot of different faces, different images, or different looks than what we have traditionally in addiction treatment talked about or, or thought that it should be. So, uh, for example, as we talk about the war on opiates, one of the very best tools that we have been given, and which I believe personally is a godsend, is a medication called buprenorphine, originally developed in, in uh, 1965, and then uh, a little more research and work done in 88, 1988. But it really started to come into the addiction treatment world in the uh, early 2000s. Now, it came in as a branded drug called Suboxone. So most people on the street, or you know, a lot of people have heard of Suboxone. Yeah, I've heard of Suboxone. Buprenorphine is new, a new term to me. Yeah. So buprenorphine is the chemical compound. Suboxone is the manufacturer's branded name for it. Suboxone, um, well, first of all, let's talk about buprenorphine. So buprenorphine they call it a partial agonist. So an agonist is something that acts. Uh, so uh, heroin, methadone, Lortab, Percocet, Oxycontin, they're all full agonists. That means when you use them, they sit in the receptors of your brain and fully charge it and um, give you that full woohoo of using the drugs that we're talking about. A partial agonist sits on the receptors differently. It doesn't fully activate the receptors. Buprenorphine is a partial agonist. It doesn't affect or, or, or uh, activate the receptors in the same way that Lortab, Percocet, Oxycontin, or heroin do. And so the really amazing thing about buprenorphine is this. Buprenorphine came out, and when you take buprenorphine, 
it has a super high affinity. Affinity is how it sticks to the receptor site. And so as you would take the buprenorphine, what it would do is it would attach to the dopamine receptor site in your brain, and it would cause basically a little barricade that would help other opiates, or you know, if you took other opiates, bounce off of that receptor when activated. And it would sit on the receptor site, and what would happen is, when you go into withdrawals, what withdrawals are is when the opiate or the drug is beginning to fall off of the receptors. It's done its job. It's activated the receptors. It gives you what you're going to get, and then it starts to drop off of the receptor. And as it starts coming off of the receptor, the brain starts going, oh, wait a minute. We need more of this. But that's what happens you know, as it comes off your receptors. That's when you start to begin to fall into withdrawals. And opiate withdrawals are incredibly terrible things. In fact, people, when you start to withdraw from opiates, you literally feel like you're going to die. Not figuratively, not that, oh, I just feel so terrible. So often we'll see people coming off of opiates in withdrawals. Their families will rush them to the emergency rooms to get help because they literally are in that place where you believe you're going to die. Well, one of the things about opiate withdrawal is you feel like you're going to die, but 99.9% um, .9 of the time you don't. But you go through that feelings, and they're just absolutely horrific. Well, that's one of the things that causes a, an opiate addict to continue using is that fear of being sick. It drives the addiction. When you take buprenorphine, it will sit on the opiate receptor, it will activate it partially, and it will keep you from going into withdrawals. At the same time, it blocks other opiates from adhering to the receptor because it sticks on so tight. And then at the same time, it doesn't give you that totally blocked emotional state. It doesn't interrupt your ability to function and process and, and do things like a full agonist opiate does. And, um, you know, it's one of the things that, you know, when used appropriately, can give an opiate addict, somebody that's abusing opiates, a true chance at being in recovery, doing things differently. Um, there's a question that people always throw out there, or there's a statement, they say, well, you know, just addicted to one drug or another drug. Well, in the, in the fact that buprenorphine is still an opiate, or a partial opiate, we call it, when you come off of the buprenorphine, you will have withdrawal, like any other opiate out there. But the object of going on to buprenorphine is, is that over a period of time, you reduce the dosing to get you down to a small enough dose that when you come off of it, the withdrawals are more manageable, that you're more able to function and operate. So I want to break this down. My, my understanding of an opiate is that uh, the brain receptors that we're talking about, typically uh, somebody who's not using any opiates, the brain produces dopamine. And the yep. dopamine, when I produce it, enters those receptors. That's how I feel joy. So I feel happy. So I have good dopamine feelings and outlook on life. When the mu receptor in the brain is activated by the dopamine molecule, that gives you a feeling of euphoria and pain relief.
In fact, that's you know why opiates we use them for pain relief is because you activate that receptor and it you know blocks our pain receptor it blocks pain. Uh, it doesn't fare to adequate job of blocking pain, but but that's what happens. Yes. And then, so more so now comparing dopamine to an opiate. So each of the each of the the neurotransmitters in our brain, if you if you look at it and think that uh, you look at them and say, well, they're little tiny keys, and each key is cut differently, and you think about your set of keys in your pocket, you have a key that fits into your car, you have a key that fits into your house, you have a key that fits into your desk drawer, and each one of those keys is cut differently, differently and specifically, you can't use one key you know, from your house to your car to your desk or anything, each one has their own shape and size. So if you think about neurotransmitters like dopamine, epinephrine, norepinephrine, uh, GABA, you know, all these different ones, they all are like a, a set of keys. They have their own shapes. And then on the other side, the receptors on the other on the, the cell head, they're shaped like the locks on your car, on your house, and, and they require a certain shape of key to fit in there before it will activate it. That way, as the brain is managing things and you have, you know, serotonin floating in your system, serotonin doesn't actually, doesn't accidentally attach to the dopamine receptor. It's not the right key pattern to get on there. Okay. Now, here's the issue. The deal with opiates are, is that opiates look almost identical to dopamine. So the molecule, the structure of it, looks almost identical. It's like somebody took and, and copied the key. Or picked the lock. Or picked the lock. If you will. Right. Do you, so and it looks like dopamine. So you mentioned other receptors. Does mm -hmm. do opiates are they are they able to enter other receptors? No. That's no. not that's not the issue. It's like it's like having the key you know, to the house or the key to the car, and it's only going to fit in that one. And so the opiates will attach to the mu receptor in your brain. That will give you that euphoric feeling. And I'm not talking about necessarily when dopamine hits it. It's not that over-the-top, you know, out-of-your-mind thing. It's just that life is worth living kind of a feeling. That's a euphoria. Is life is worth living. And then they also will block pain. So the, the dopamine and an opiate, they, they it's a comparable... Key. Key and a comparable feeling? Well. Or amount so of now, dopamine feeling? So now dopamine in measured senses, as, as our brain is, is very uh, measured and systematic. You, you know, when you have a release of dof dopamine, you're going to feel good and happy. But when you flood your system with opiates and it hits those receptors... Uh, and then stays in those receptors, it pushes you to a beyond euphoric. It pushes you into a, a place of, um, of silliness. Now, here, one of the problems that happens, too, let me just go here, is that when you have an excess of opiates in your system, one of the things that it also does is opiates will uh, slow down your processing so it slows down your digestion it slows down your heart rate it slows down your respirations it has a depressive 
effect on your physical organs and slows them down. Well, dopamine doesn't do that, but, but opiates will do that and slow them down. In fact, overdose deaths are, you know, you, you take a, a drug like an opiate and overdose, I've, there's too much of it in my system, and it will shut down your breathing or it will shut down your heart rate. It, you know, in people that use opiates, you know, if you're on Lortab, Percocet, Oxycontins, or Codones, or whatever, you know, one of the huge problems is uh, constipation. It shuts down your, your, you know, your digestion. It slows it down to the point where you become incredibly constipated. It's a difficult thing. Now, buprenorphine, going back to that place. Well, I, I, let's, okay. let's do that, but I, 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 I want to clarify a few things, because, so the... Opiate tricks my dopamine receptors into me thinking that I have dopamine in my system. I feel euphoria. If I flood it, I feel, like you said, almost silliness. I've I've gone above and beyond. If I keep using opiates, what does my brain do with dopamine production, for example? I'm really glad you said that because... Because our brain, being a very conservative organ and trying to do things all systematically and all right and appropriately, what will happen is, is that when you flood your system with dopamine or with opiates, which the brain perceives to be dopamine, the first thing that the brain says is, oh crap, we put too much dopamine in our system. And so it will begin to shut down the production of dopamine, trying to manage and stay ahead so that you don't overdose, you don't, you know, uh, shut down respiration, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, probably protecting yourself right. from overdosing on its own. Right. Your body on overdosing yeah. on your own dopamine. Right. Okay. So it'll begin to shut down the production of dopamine in your system. And then the next thing it'll do is it'll begin to shut down the receptor sites for dopamine, all in an attempt to save you, to keep you from being, you know, from overdosing, let's say. And, and the problem is, is that... You know, as it begins to shut down production and begins to shut down receptor sites, then you start you start developing this tolerance, and you have to have more and more and more of the chemical in your system to be able to just be able to survive. And one of the sad, you know, the 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 secrets of dopamine or excuse me of uh, opiate abuse is when you're an opiate addict, you have a very short period of time when opiates are fun. You know, people that look at uh, drug addicts that are doing heroin or, or whatnot, and they're, oh, they're just out getting high, having fun. Actually, the fun part of using opiates probably lasts for maybe six months to maybe a year, probably less than that. After that point, it is a process of trying not to get sick and to just feel normal. And you begin to take more and more and more of the opiates to overcome now the deficit in your brain, because your brain's not producing dopamine, and which the scary part is, is that pushes you closer and closer to the point of overdose and overdose death. Right? So when somebody's using opiates, over time, receptors shut down. It takes more opiates to maintain a high. So you talked about that six months to one year period of Fun, perhaps. It's fun, yes. Perhaps it being fun. Uh, And then... And then you reach 
a point of kind of of no return, right? Because your brain stops making its own dopamine. And that, it's not just, oh, now I don't feel good. It's, that's, isn't that how we manage our own pain? Right. Right. So, so now if I stop using opiates, I don't, I want to have fewer receptor sites anyway. If, even if I was creating dopamine, I would never be able to create the same amount of, of, we call it euphoria. Right. Right. But just that sense of feeling okay right. with the world. But on top of that, I'm not even creating my own dopamine. So I, I go into the, I drop into the cycle and this is where the with, withdrawal comes from. Is that correct? So the withdrawal comes from not having dopamine sitting on your sites, on the receptor sites, or opiates, as soon as it falls off, then your body starts going into this, well, well I need something to feel better. Right? Okay, so, the, so that connects to the buprenorphine. Right, right. So I need something let, to feel let's, better. Let's go to this. Let's say you can walk in and just stop taking opiates today and not have any withdrawals. Uh, and then, yeah, you have a dopamine deficit. Okay, so this is discarding and saying, well, let's take the whole withdrawal process off the table here and just go with the actual part of your brain that now all of a sudden you don't have naturally produced dopamine in your system and and your brain isn't kicking back online. So one of the hardest things uh, after you quit using opiates, for example, is that uh, you go through a, a lot of depression. Well, the depression is I'm in a dopamine deficit. I don't have that chemistry in my brain that says life is worth living. Oh, I feel good. I want to get out and I want to do something. And so people that will, you know, use opiates for a long time and they quit using opiates and they are sober, they're also fighting with depression and they're fighting with that constant feeling of worthlessness and listlessness and, and it's a horrible place for them to be now that's discounting taking out the actual withdrawals that they go through as they're trying to come off of opiates withdrawals that include nausea vomiting diarrhea all at the same time that include uh, shaking and, and per, uh, uh, um, sweating and um, body crawling achy just to the degrees that you can't even imagine. You know, when you think about your worst flu that you've ever had, your worst flu doesn't even come close to touching the scale of what opiate withdrawal is like. And then there's that fear that hits you of impending doom. Oh my gosh, I'm going to feel this way for the rest of my life. I'm this, I can't bear it. So there's that whole process. So now going back to buprenorphine or Suboxone or, or Subutex, uh, a couple of other names, but buprenorphine for what we're talking about here. What buprenorphine does is buprenorphine will, when you take it as prescribed, it will sit on the receptor sites and keep you from going into withdrawals. It doesn't activate them to the point where you are high, but it will help you to be able to feel... Um, like you're alive again it restores to people a quality of life an ability to function and operate to hold down a job to maintain relationships it helps people to be able to begin to develop new coping mechanisms in their life and dealing with life 
on life's terms. And it is a wonderful medication that, interestingly enough, while while heroin, methadone, morphine, all these things where you can take enough to overdose on it, uh, buprenorphine in and of itself has a limiting effect. So whether you take, you know, 10 milligrams or 6, 8, 10, 12, 14 milligrams, it doesn't matter. It will reach a certain level, and then you can eat the whole bottle, and it doesn't do anything else. You can't overdose on it. Well, if I say I can't overdose on it... Then somebody will try it. Yeah, and, 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 yeah. and I think that the, 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 the indication says that uh, we never say something like that, right? But reality, and just being honest and practically talking here, you don't overdose on it. Now, if you combine it with something like a benzodiazepine, absolutely you can. But buprenorphine in and of itself. And so buprenorphine will help a person who wakes up in the morning with one thought on their mind is, how am I going to survive today? Who am I going to have to rip off? What am I going to have to do to get my drugs so that I can function and operate? Not that I'm high and partying, just that I can get up and, and act like a real human being, right? It will help that person be able to um, wake up in the morning and be able to address life. So... You know, that, that's one of the things that I find the most powerful about it. Now, objective of treatment is, you know, help somebody reach quality of life. One of the things with addiction is, is, you know, uh, the 12 steps says my life became unmanageable, you know, and, and that I was powerless over my addiction. Well, yeah, that's what addiction is, powerlessness and unman unmanageability of our lives. Uh, buprenorphine can help to restore management of your life, and it can give you a foot up on the addiction. Okay? Now, a lot of people, the object ought to be to reduce my dosing over a period of time, learn how to deal with life, develop skills, and then come off of the buprenorphine and be drug-free. That is going to be an ideal situation. However, science and experience tells us it doesn't happen the same way for everybody. For example, if you're a person that has used opiates for a long enough duration, a long enough period of time, or if you've, you've created a situation where your brain doesn't produce as much dopamine anymore and that you can't have the appropriate amounts of dopamine, you know, similar to somebody that has a serotonin deficiency or, or, you know, GABA deficiency. For a lot of people, the reality is they might be on a low dose of buprenorphine for the rest of their lives. Does that mean that they're not sober? Does that mean they're not in recovery? Well, if recovery is, well, let me back up and say this. Well, are they not sober? Are they addicts? Well, there are a lot of medications that we take for quality of life. And when we take medications, you know, following the directions of a, of a, competent, a competent physician, as we do that, you know, regardless of the medication, if you take it and, it's, and you do it in the right and appropriate ways, that's not addictive behavior. It might be chemically dependent, but it's not addictive behavior. And so, shooting for quality of life 
being able to eliminate addictive behaviors from my life, you know, trying to manage my own symptoms, manage my own feelings and stuff, turn it over to a professional to help me manage those things. Then what we can really do is you can really achieve quality of life, even if you have a management medication in your system. And uh, I have seen so many people in my experience that have been able to reach quality of life. People that have lost everything that now have, you know, they have uh, relationships, they have jobs, they have homes, they have hopes and desires and all those things, and they live life, you know, a life of recovery. It's a beautiful thing to see. You know, on the other hand, I've watched people white knuckle it, just quit using something and try to deal with life, and it's not a very pretty thing. And kudos to them for doing that. And in some situations, yeah, that's how it's going to be. But with opiate addiction, we have some modern miracles, modern godsends, that if we're not using them, shame on us. Shame on us. And I think... Uh, I think that buprenorphine or Suboxone Subutex is one of those modern miracles that it carries a stigma that it doesn't deserve. Well, you're just trading one addiction for another. Well, actually, I'm trading a drug that can kill me right now to one that can prolong my life. And raise and my quality of life. And raise my quality of life, right? And so, you know... I don't think anybody gets to really determine for another person how they have to do this. And I think that the real goal of treatment is helping people come to that place where they figure out quality of life. And uh, I think one of the modern miracle medications for that today is buprenorphine. And so if you have a loved one that's on buprenorphine that is trying to do you know, medical management of their addiction, and they're using buprenorphine, um, stop trying to uh, manage that form. You know, I see people, family members that are so anxious to get them off of that medication. And, uh, you know, we need to let go of the stigma of it and start, you know, really uh, enjoying the fruit of this medication that can really be helpful and helpful for us. Thank you. I think we're out of time. I hope that we can talk about this a little bit more in future episodes. I hope it maybe is some uh, food for thought for family members and loved ones out there. So, uh, once again, Carson, it's great to be with you. Have a wonderful, wonderful evening. Me too. Thank you for joining us on the Surviving Loving and Addict podcast. I'll see you next time.